Hi, and welcome to my Independence Report, the podcast that no one listens to except me. Since no one's listening, I have the freedom to say what's in my heart and to create anything I want. (laughs) How good is that? At least for me. So now I'm going to present new ideas, thoughts, and comments on past and current events, stories from my job, a view from the seat, as well as the best of episodes from the various shows I did in the past, and even stories about life between lives called Death Isn't Real. So since no one really knows about this podcast, I might as well get started. And oh, by the way, thanks for not listening. Hi, and welcome to the show, everybody. I have to tell you, I've been doing some research and going through some archives of the old Positive Talk radio files, and I cannot believe some of the great people that we've had. One of them is Michael Gurian. Now, Michael has written well over 30 books about human behavior and stuff. In this particular episode that we're going to air, he is talking about a book that he wrote that that is called What could he be thinking? It's about men and what men actually think. So with that, I'm just going to stand aside and let you listen to this interview that we did a while back with Michael Gurian. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio for a Thursday. I hope everyone is well. It is a beautiful day in Seattle again, and and it's a little chilly, but that's kind of a crisp of fall weather, and we love that. And so we're glad that you're here, and I want to set this up. We don't have a lot of time. So what I first of all, I want you to do, if you're a woman, I want you to go and call all of your women friends that you know, because this segment is for you. We are about to talk to Michael Gurian. He has written the book, What Could He Be Thinking? How a Man's Mind Really Works. Nancy Kerner, I've joined into the conversation so that she is, of course, of the women's room. And so she works with women all day who come to her and say that very same sentence. What could he be thinking? Nancy, how are you? Great, thank you, Kevin. How are you? Hi, I'm terrific, thank you. And we are going to go ahead and and, uh, introduce Michael right now. Michael, how are you? Hi. I'm doing great. Very, very good. You wrote the book. What could he be thinking? What made you write that book? Well, um, you know, it's two things. One is is I started researching in neurobiology in '83, so for 20 years, and I've been I've had a plan to work with you know look at boys' brains, why boys do what they do, girls, uh, men, and then women. So I'm kind of fulfilling my plan. But on this one, particularly, um, my wife has a number of friends. Uh, a, a kind of a group that she has, and and for you know for years they've they've said, okay, Mike, come here, tell me, you know, why did why did Joe <laughs> do this? Why did you know this kind of thing? And uh, so the book begins sort of with that story and says, uh, uh, you know, and we ended up doing focus groups then with women, saying, well, what are the questions you're asking? And there's a there are a lot of wonderful questions, you know, from from the deep stuff like you know talking about feelings and keeping marriages going to the fun stuff. Um, which have deep implications, actually, like controlling the remote control and housework, you know, the everyday things. Oh, so yeah. I tried, tried then to cover the gamut uh, of, of male-female relations. Now, you realize that there are a lot of guys out there saying, Michael, 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 why are you sharing our secrets? We need these. These are our, This is our edge. <laughs> this is our edge. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> well, now, of course, uh, I'm a big believer that uh, communicating and uh, understanding builds compassion. So... 
So in the end, we're all going to gain by us understanding each other. And there is still a lot of nice mystery. You know, we're not killing romance by, by putting an X-ray to the male brain or the female brain. still a lot of love and mystery and romance. Uh, it's just that it all works better if we can uh, create expectations based on who we really are, not uh, who we are projecting we'd like the other person to be. Absolutely. And I, uh, Michael, am very fascinated by the brain and biochemistry. And I know that from your book, you, uh, you know, doing this for 23 years or however long, pardon me, longer than that. But anyways, uh, my question is, tell us what you've discovered in the PET scans about the male brain and how it's different from the female brain and hormonally. What can we expect? Well, there are, there, um, uh, as you say, the PET scans, the, the positronic emission tomography, those are, are scans where you actually can put those right on you know, the head and you can see how the blood flow's going. And uh, when, we, when we look at male and female brains and compare how they work, we see differences in many areas, like the hippocampus is one that where our memory center, you know, women's hippocampus is about 10% larger, and there are more neural pathways um, from, for instance, sensory centers you know, what she sees, tastes, hears, to this hippocampus. So, so a, for instance, is typically um, women are going to remember more of the, uh, the sensory detail from an experience and the conversational detail from an experience that happened, say, 10 years ago, five years ago, even yesterday, uh, because that's how that brain set up. And these, these differences, um, I think folks are often surprised to learn that the differences I'm talking about, the brain differences um, I'm into are the stuff that happens in the womb, um, you know, we have three primary markers for who we are as human beings. One is our genome. That's the whole genetic package we got. The second is what happens in utero um, and uh, the way the hormones hit our brains in utero and format them. And then the third is, of course, our socialization and upbringing, which affects our brain development. And the one I'm into is that formatting in utero. So we're, we're g- women, girls are going to get a, a larger hippocampus and, and um, they're going to have more emotive, emotional pathways to their verbal centers um, you know, all the way down to uh, the way that they're going to see directions or not see directions. A lot of that is actually set in utero, and that doesn't cut out the value of upbringing to teach people character and morality and all of that. But the brain differences here are they're not really very malleable. You know, you, you can, we can talk to, a, let's say we have a boy who's sort of way out on the male brain end of the spectrum, doesn't have a lot of neural pathways to put emotions to words, we can talk at this kid for his whole childhood. We can give him dolls, you know, to play with and all these things. But he's going to do what his brain's set to do. And it's not, it doesn't hurt him for us to talk to him. It's good for us to do that. But we don't want to expect that when he's married, he's married at 30 years old that he's going to be like she is and talk a lot about his feelings because a lot of this is formatted in. So are women taking um, the things that men do or don't do in the sense of, you know, not remembering as many details as women do and we might think they're, you know, not as smart or forgetful and uh, in our relationships in the women's room I see uh, women are taking that personally and think that he's not doing enough. Are you seeing that in your studies? Oh, yeah. Yeah, women and men are both way too hard on each other right now. Um, you know, um, and, and, and since you asked about women, I mean, men, men are who they are, and I'm now not talking about character issues. Those, that's separate. What I'm talking about here now are these habits, these ways of remembering things or not remembering, uh, or ways of seeing dust or not seeing dust, holding a remote control, you know, and, <laughs> and wanting that remote control. These things, a lot of this stuff is so wired in, and, and, um, and yet it can feel very rejecting because men are a little, are, are, we, we have a, uh, testosterone and vasopressin uh, hormonal and chemical base 
uh, we're more more ruled by testosterone and vasopressin, and these are these are um, what I call independence hormones. They're going to wire us for a little bit more separateness. We're going to be tending to assert territory and say, you know, including emotional territory. You know, I'm going to go golf on Sunday morning. That's what I'm going to do every Sunday morning. You know, we can't you can't bug me at that time. Well, a lot of that is our chemical base setting us up to ritualize our lives and structure our lives um, to get our downtime and all this. And, and so much of this is in, our, in who we are, mm-hmm. but women, number one, don't understand it, and we men are pr- probably not being as kind as we could be in explaining it because we don't understand ourselves. And so women are feeling very rejected. You know, why, why is he doing that? Why, why doesn't he want to spend those three hours with me, and, and why can't he explain it to me? So I think we're taking the, a lot of things very personally, uh, and I hope what could he be thinking just kind of takes the top off of this and says, all right, here are like a hundred things you don't have to do battle on because they're how you, y'all are wired, and that's liberating. That's actually not a heavy burden. That liberates, and then we can concentrate on what we really should change about ourselves and each other. You know, I've been practicing this for about eight years in my 25-year relationship with my husband, and it has just changed our dynamics incredibly for me to tr- stop trying to psychoanalyze him and expect him to communicate like my girlfriends do. One of the terms you use in your book is called intimate separateness, and I think that is key in having a healthy, successful relationship. Can you explain a little bit about intimate separateness? Yeah, that, that is really the bedrock here of, um, you know, the long-term process that, that, that what could he be thinking is trying to help with. Um, initially, I'm just trying to help explain, explain the brain in an entertaining, fun way. And then I'm saying, you know, when we look at the female brain and the male brain and we take the best of both those brains, what we get is, is a, a greater female base, uh, more of an oxytocin base, that's a bonding chemical base, um, more, more wanting to connect, wanting to keep things intimate, keep the verbal communication alive. That tends to be more, not always, but tends to be more a female base of operation. And then the operating system that men are working with tends to be more independence-oriented, more separateness-oriented, even though he, he loves us, but you know, more separateness-oriented. And I'm, I'm arguing that nature wants us to take the best of both these brain systems in order to keep marriages going. So that means intimate separateness. And that is, as you say, that is a different way of approaching marriage. And what that, what that requires us to do is create rituals for affection and for love and, and uh, you know, not, not assume that he'll be there when I need it or she'll be there when I need it, but actually create a division of labor, ritualize our lives, structure our lives, keep the spontaneity, but still keep, uh, structure things. And, um, and, not, and simply, at a deep level, it's not assume that anyone else is going to take care of us. I'm going to need to get what I need, and um, he's going to need to get what he needs. And all the pheromones that made us so happy and so connected when we were you know, first in love, those pheromones are gone um, by the time we're two, three years into this relationship. Now it's really about understanding. So intimate separateness, um, uh, I actually get into many specifics in the book on it, but that's the general concept. I love I love the concept of the book, and I love what you're doing because now I can go to my wife and say, "Hey, it's not my fault. I'm just wired that way." We need to take a break. We're going to come right back after these messages. <laughs> More with Michael Gurian, and what could he be thinking? How a mind's really work. How a man's mind really works. We'll be right back. Hey, I got some lights. Hey, I got a stage. Let's put on a show. <laughs> we're, 
Yeah. You're, you're listening to Positive Talk Radio. My name is Kevin McDonald. I'm your host here on your alternative talk radio station, KKNW. Nancy Kerner is here, and we're talking with Michael Gurian. He's written the book. Actually, he's written more than just one book. He's also got uh, – you started with two other books. What were the titles of those, Michael? Uh, well, I I looked at boys through the you know, through the same lens with with the wonder of boys, and then girls with the wonder of girls, and the wonder the metaphor there is of nature, nature the actual nature of the boy and of the girl being being quite wonderful, and and very different. I have two boys, and I can't imagine having a little girl because I mean they're so uh, they're so different. Yeah, friends yeah. friends of mine, and, and yeah, they're it's it's the people always say, well, they're the same, but they're different, and they're both true. There are a lot of ways in which boys and girls are similar, but there are a lot of ways in which they're different. Oh yeah, like like baby proofing the house. We had to like baby proof the entire anything below six feet was fair game for my boys, and where you can put a girl down and she can sit down and read a book that my boys would tear the pages out. That's just the way it worked. Right. But this book that you you've written now, what could he be thinking? His is a great uh, um, um, testament of what of what we as a culture need to learn about each other. Because I don't think that we know a lot about the differences between men and women that are inherent in their in their makeup. Yeah, I don't think we know enough about it. I think I think you're right, and and I I think maybe a hundred or two hundred years ago, thousand years ago, it wasn't as necessary that we. That we understand each other in in any kind of deep way, because the society compelled us to stay married, and in fact, the society arranged for our marriages. You know, I mean, yes. we didn't really even have to fall in love, so we didn't have to go through a lot of that biology. We just someone said, you know, that you're going to marry so and so. You married that person, and you're not going to be allowed to divorce. So that's that. And also, in the past, we had a lot of extended family around us, aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas, and so there are all these people telling us who we were and who other people were. But now, if we look at the world, um, uh, we're in, we're, we're, we've got two different things going on here. One is we don't have the social uh, strictures telling us we have to stay married. So now it is up to us to figure out how to do it. And we don't tend to have a lot of these other people within our family system saying, here's who you are, here's who he is, blah, blah, blah. We are, again, reliant upon ourselves. And so I think that's why now uh, we actually have to take, make a concerted effort to understand the person that we're relating to, because if we don't, we cannot develop the compassion we need to stay married for a long period of time. Well, things have changed in the last 50 years to a great degree. Remember, it was the, the 1920s when women got the right to vote. Right. Before that, they were second-class citizens, and it was a woman's role to be heard and not seen, much like the kids. Now it's it's way different than that, because we've evolved past it, and, and we now are co-equals, and it's, it's really difficult for two people that are equal sometimes to come to an agreement when they don't understand each other. Yeah, yeah, you are absolutely right. It's like two countries trying to come to agreement, but the cultures are so different. <laughs> and do you think our egos get in the way of that? Oh, no, <laughs> never. <laughs> Wanting to be right. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. If you know, we don't feel that the other person is compassionate to us, mm, even if we're wrong mm, in that feeling, but yeah. if we don't feel it and if we don't feel the other person deeply respects us, then we will, yeah, our egos will rise, and we'll be very self-protective. And, and, um, and the thing is, it's not hard to understand another person. I mean, that's what I found in, in writing this book. This, this brain research is everywhere. I mean, I've collected it, put it together. I have a whole social philosophy, yes. Um, but at the same time, people can get on the Internet, and they can go out and find brain research, and that's what I love about it. We are in a position now where we can respect each other by understanding each other. Michael, in your experience, what is the biggest 
if there is a biggest misunderstanding between men and women? What what don't we get about each other that is seems to be universal? Um, well, I don't know if there's just one. Um, I was afraid of that. I would I would say that that one thing that is a huge uh, issue is this whole way that we each handle emotion. And, um, and so, yeah, that is a huge discrepancy between us, that, that the female brain is so much more set for, for um, processing emotional information, you know, so just stimulation that involves emotion, for processing it quickly and, um, uh, you know, as it's happening, and to process it in words. And, of course, that's with more, more neural centers in the female brain are set for verbal skills, so she's going to rely on more on, on words, and there are more pathways from, from the emotion centers to these verbal centers, so she's certainly going to process more. You know, so it's set up differently than males. And I think that in relationships, that one thing, uh, when we remove that stressor, when we allow, for instance, when, when men are allowed to take the, the hour they need, or, or longer to process something, and then we get back to talking about it. Uh, you know, when we do little things like that, that really alters a relationship. So I would say that the emotion area um, uh, would be would be a major one. I think another one that's huge for people is is this thing about men and and working, and you know how they can get so work obsessed. So many men and women go through stages about their work. I mean, they, women love their work, of course. And then, but then also they have a child and they love their child. And, you know, that it just seems like a more complex journey. And, um, and then they often will, will say, you know, all he does is work. What's that about? And they feel very lonely. And, and so all of that is a big issue. And, of course, a lot of this is about how the brains work and how our hormones don't change and our brain chemistry doesn't change when, we have, when our wife has a baby because, of course, our body's not going through that. And we don't have as much oxytocin, which is the bonding chemical that compels us to do the hands-on child care and so on. And so, you know, our, it's a different journey. And I think males tend to rely on work um, really for, for their self-esteem in ways that women think is immature or something like that, when in fact a lot of that's just about brain chemistry. So I'd say maybe emotions and work are two, two big ones. How about the uh, S word? Because, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, like um, – women need a reason and men need, just need a place? Is that, is that true? As far now, as the, the S word, what did you mean by that? As far as the sex. sex. Oh, sex. Oh, yes. yes. What, what men need I a, be thinking? Yes. Yeah, well, men. sex is a big difference. God knows. Um, a wonderful thing about sex, uh, <laughs> since we're on the topic. Um, <laughs> that's no, why I brought it up. This I mean, one is, this one, you're right. I, that's another one. Uh, women, this is something that's great for women to know. When, when um, you know, oxytocin is this bonding chemical, and it's a big deal. Uh, and the one time that the male um, body, and therefore brain system, has, uh, as, has nearly as much oxytocin as the female is when he ejaculates. So when he comes to orgasm, he gets a massive rush of oxytocin. And, and so it's very typical for, you know, during that period for him to say, oh, I love you, and, you know, just this beautiful connection the bonding of that time. But then his oxytocin goes down and the testosterone comes back up. And then by the next morning, you know, his oxytocin level is far below the oxytocin level that she has, which was, which, which happened in her brain and body while she was having the sexual encounter. So we have the next morning, her bonding chemical is really high. His is much lower and he doesn't call her. You know, I'm talking about like in the dating process. Sure. And then she waits another day and he doesn't call her. 
But they had this incredible moment. Well, a lot of this is brain chemistry, and women can go through a lot of depression. I mean, clinical depression, because they get in this cycle of having sex with or having romance with a guy who doesn't pay attention to them the way they want, and they often don't realize that it's simply in his process, especially if we're in the early romance stages, you know, where the guy is he's adolescent and then into 20s and early 30s, he is not, his wiring isn't set the same way hers is. Uh, and I, I think women like knowing that, and I certainly explain this stuff to my daughters so that when they date, um, my eldest one who's 13, uh, you know, she talks a lot about boys, and I explain it to her. I want her to know mm-hmm. that uh, if, if when, when uh, she decides to have intercourse, that she's going to have a completely different chemical experience of, of sex with this guy. And she's going to value it more as an emotional experience than necessarily than he will. Is that right? Yeah, he's... Of course, men associate emotion with sex, and, and the oxytocin is one reason they, they get so emotional when they have sex. Uh, but in terms of over the period of a week, that one sexual encounter will have a bigger impact on her emotional system because it has a bigger impact on her brain chemistry um, uh, than it will on his. It's more likely that he will, have a, he will have a smaller residual effect from the sex act in terms of his emotional base than she will. And that is worldwide. Um, people sometimes say, well, you know, the things you're talking about, are they just in the U.S.? Is it because we socialize boys to, to um, you know, try to have a lot of sex and we socialize women not to and all of this stuff? And that's all interesting. But uh, this thing I'm talking about here is worldwide. The, the cultural social socialization doesn't matter a lot, um, this sex response. It's nature. It's human nature at work. And cultures matter, but on a lot of stuff that's human nature, cultures are like the costume. They're, they're not the cause. Mm. That's, just, that's just incredible. So, so we are at the most fundamental level when we are engaged in a physical relationship with somebody. You're actually having different experiences all at the same time. Yeah, we are. And, and, and if we understand this stuff, it builds compassion and it builds fun. Yes. You know, we can, life is great if we can understand this stuff. But if not, it can be depressing. And, yes. and it can be awful for the young lady if she doesn't, because she, she equates him not calling back with that she was used and abused, which may not be the case at all. He's just on to killing dinosaurs and bringing that home. And <laughs> his, his brain is operating in a different level. Is that fair? Well, it is, unless, you know, the interesting thing is, um, you, we can now PET scan people who are, who are actually in love. So we're now not, you know, these are guys, women and men, who the sex act was, it was good, um, and it was part of a larger love they have. And, and, you know, they want to get married, this kind of thing. Well, we now can scan, and we now know that there are four centers of the cingulate gyrus, which is a, a part of the brain in the limbic system, that light up when you are actually in love with this partner. And that's different than lust or than, you know, than just sex for the sake of sex or whatever. This is actual love. Well, what, what's great is to know that. Now, we can't pet, she can't pet scan him when they're having sex to say, oh, are you really in love with me? Darn. But at least she can know that sex and love are not the same thing. And she intuitively knows it, I think. But now there's brain research to support her. And then she can plan her life out. She can say, look, if I'm going to have sex with this guy... I got to remember that he may not be in love with me, and you know, blah blah blah. Maybe the singular gyrus doesn't light up, and you know, it can be actually fun to think about this stuff. Well, and the other if prob- you like science. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other problem is, is that if women bond more for a longer period of time, they're going to be more affected by the act, even if, if if he's not in love with her, and or even she with him, she may fall in love through the sex act more so than him. Correct. Well, yeah, especially because her oxytocin levels stay up for so long. So, yeah, she's going to be more likely 
to tar- target him, I mean, that's a very male word, but, you know, to focus on him as, as, her, as a potential um, a mate. And he, he also, it's not just oxytocin, it's testosterone, too. Testosterone is, an, is a sex and aggression hormone, and um, uh, vasopressin is another chemical that's part of this that com- compel him, unless, again, the cingulate gyrus kicks in here and says, I'm in love with her, unless that happens, compel him to keep finding more um, sexual connections. But, uh, but you know, if you, well, if you think about it, he's got trillions of sperm that are potentially fertile in a lifetime, but she has 300 eggs. That's a profound reproductive difference that resonates through our brain systems. And so she is going to tend to look at guys a little more as whether they are going to be protective of those eggs. In other words, whether they ought to be Mr. Right. Uh, men are not as much interested in Miss Right, especially if they're, you know, again, teenagers or they're into the 20s. Well, sometimes men aren't even interested in, in much else other than she's a Miss, uh, which is an important thing. But Michael Gurian is who we've been talking to, and he's written the book, what could he be thinking how a mind, a man's mind really works? Michael, thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you. Take care. And you know, and one of the things before you go, just, to, just as a quick parting thought here, that it is really important for women to understand that before they engage in, that, in the sex act, that they be a little bit more sure of where he's coming from or at least know where he's coming from because they could get sunk off the deep end and he might be saying, what, what? What do you want, right? Right, yeah. So, yeah. interesting. Okay, well, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, thank you. Take care. Take care. That was Michael Gurian, and he's written the book, What Could He Be Thinking? Jim!